Tuesday, February 6th, and I'm jacked up to talk about Penn State football. I love it, and I love that uh, Zach Kreiser says it's 6.58 in Washington. He's fired up for the mailbag. I love this. This is the energy we need from everybody this offseason. Zach, you're my guy. I love it. We're talking Penn State football with senior editor of Blue White Illustrated, Nate Bauer. Uh, Sean Fitz, not able to make it today, so it's just Nate and I. A little old school here, Nate, going back to uh, some of the podcasts and uh, shows of yesteryear where it was just you and I talking for an hour. I think we did an hour and a half one time. <laughs> like old times. Like yeah. old times. So how are you doing today? How, how, how are things going with Nate Bauer? Uh, back from his vacation, Penn State basketball gets yeah. a road win. The, you know, we're talking about uh, all kinds of stuff going on with uh, Penn State sports. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Give us some nuggets. Give us some of your insights into some thoughts. Yeah, I mean, so this is the problem with going away is I didn't see either of the basketball games. I didn't watch <laughs> either one. I was at dinner for one, and the other one I was at uh, playing some golf. So uh, I had to, right, it, the crash is always the hardest when you get back, right? Yeah. Because not only, not only, and listen, I don't want to sound like a negative person here. I'm not. I'm I'm not a negative person. Uh, it's much colder here than it was in Florida. <laughs> those are facts. There's uh, no there's no disputing those as facts. There are two more children here than there were in Florida, right? And so oh, there's yeah. there's responsibilities. There's there's cold weather, and so when you add the work component on top of it, it's just a lot, right? It's just it's just. <laughs> So uh, one of the questions we're not going to get to in the mailbag was from Blackheart on the uh, Blue White Illustrated message board. His question was, the first one, is there really an offseason for T. Frank and Nate? He mm. says that jokingly, but with some seriousness thrown in there. Uh, for Nate, for sure, there's an issue of going from basketball, from football to basketball and football to basketball. So like for yeah. Nate, like there is an extended run of I need to be dialed in and covering a sport on a regular basis. For me, like I, let's not worry about T. Frank all that much. I, I ended up having the opportunity, however, to watch the games yesterday, mm -hmm. right? I, so I good. So I feel good there. I can at least I can at least uh, discuss knowledgeably that, and I don't feel like I missed anything too traumatic with uh, with football. And yeah, is that right? Is that is that a good read? I mean, I know there was some recruiting activity, but that's not my it, lane for sure. There's a lot of stuff that I'm glad you specifically are here today to talk about because uh, news broke on Friday. Mm -hmm. about the NCAA and the SEC and the Big Ten. And I wanted to, you know, I, I felt like I was derelicting my duty not to have a show about it on Friday where this is a big announcement, but Nate was on vacation and he is the best person and probably the only person we really want having extended conversations about these big picture things. So that's what we're going to we're going to get to today. Maybe in just a little bit, we're going to talk about that because there's some other things I want to get to here on the show. But that is a big thing that I think, you know, as far as what you miss, that would be the one thing and be like, I, we need to have a conversation about the end of the NCAA beginning last Friday. T Frank, I, I don't want to tell you what to do, but I've been talking about this for like a month on the message board. So. <laughs> well, you know, that's that. If you're a subscriber, you knew that. Exactly. And that's a great time to tell people to subscribe. If you want to subscribe to hear what Nate's talking about, some of the insider information, all those things that, again, we talk about it here on the show when it's public, but that doesn't mean that's the first time we talked about it. Subscribe to Blue White Illustrated so you get that, that juicy goss. Two months for a dollar. Use code PSU1. It's not gossip if it's reporting, though. 
Uh, so maybe even that's a mischaracterization. Use the promo code PSU1 for two months. You get for a dollar. We love our podcast, multimedia, YouTube channel. We even have some radio tendrils out there where the show is on the radio stations out in the World Wide Web and, uh, you know, terrestrially in, in Pennsylvania. If you hear that and use promo code PSU1, you get it for uh, two months for a dollar, Nate. It's a great deal. Sign up. Do it. Seriously. Do it. Yeah. Uh, last thing before we really get into it is, you know, like I said, we're jacked up to be here. Zach is jacked up to be here. Please like and subscribe. But most importantly, remind your friends, your casual fans, your casual friends who are like, mah, 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 they lost the Sugar Bowl. Brah, brah, brah. I'm not going to pay attention. We're still doing this. We're still having meaningful conversations. Please share the video with all your friends so we can have our regular uh, robust crowd of football fans here in the middle of February because there's nothing if I'm not hyper competitive. And I understand things go in seasons, but one thing does not go out of season winning, and that is, uh, Nate, that is winning. Winning never goes out of season. Uh, <laughs> which which you brought up, Penn State didn't do at the end, but it's, it's okay. Yes. That's okay. That's all right. Anyway. Uh, well, we are, we are not Penn State. We can win irrespective of them. And that is, that is always my goal. Um, so this is big news, though. You know, yes. talking about the Big Ten and the SEC, it, it was it phrased as an oversight committee uh, to get or or how was that? How was the hostile takeover phrased last Friday? Because I specifically don't remember the direct nomenclature they used. Yeah, I'm not I'm not going to be able to to help you out there. I, I, exploratory may have been a word, uh, but oversight sounds right as well. Uh, yeah, look, this is. This is what it is, right? Is the NCAA in terms of football, power five football is no longer power five football. We've already known that uh, you, you've already had the big 10 absorb the good teams, the good programs in the pac 12 that's done mm-hmm. already happened. So the, so the pac 12 is no more. Um, yes. The big 12 is out there. The ACC is out there. Nobody would accuse either of those conferences as being serious competitors to the sec and the big 10 in terms of the college football stage. And so I think what you're seeing is right. The commissioners of the big 10 and the sec saying, and uh, being more frank about it, uh, the sec, right? So the sec is the driver's seat. The big 10 is not far behind the others probably wish they were on the bus they are not at present and um yeah so you so you have this situation where they are finally publicly i i believe that this has been going on privately for quite a while now uh but publicly saying hey uh we're gonna have to explore our options we're gonna have to see what the best thing is moving forward yeah and i'm gonna i'm gonna spoil the surprise for everyone here it's leaving the ncaa Mm -hmm. it is creating their own product it is having their own playoff Uh, so the cfp there was a a pete thamel somebody had it uh, a couple of days ago that this is the first time that they're publicly saying they they have to consider the future of the cfp interesting again i'll I'll spoil it for you it they're not going to be in it they're not going to be in it. They're going to they're going to do their own thing because uh-huh. uh, the the time of player unionization is going to be interesting to see. But 
but yeah. I believe player unionization, collective bargaining, TV revenue share, uh, all of the things to formalize college football, power college football as the entity that it has always been, but pretended not to be, <laughs> it's happening. It's pulling ha the mask off and revealing yeah, it, what they were underneath the whole time. I do think it's interesting that, and it is specific. I know that we've covered this already, but the announcement saying the SEC and Big Ten, specifically these two conferences, yeah. have gotten together in their big pants, big boy uh, room and decided they are going to form an advisory committee because obviously they are the two entities to have the power to advise and oversee. Um, I, I, I think that's that's interesting. It, it, is this in well, is this specifically in uh, not retaliation, but in direct um, result of Tennessee going under NCAA violation investigation for their NIL practices? Do you, do you see this as okay? Finally, you you did the thing we were waiting for you to do, but the last straw is Tennessee and their NIL vi uh, violations. Now we are going to remove you as the person who even can um make those decisions speaking so you, of the ncaa you have it reversed right you have it reversed it's okay. it's this has been going on and tennessee's backlash to what the ncaa is attempting to do to tennessee their their ability tennessee's ability to get on their hind legs and be extremely defensive about it and say well, okay fine right like come at us is because this is this has been happening behind the scenes right gotcha. if if the if if tennessee had any feeling of um owing respect to the ncaa then i don't think that you would have seen that strong of a backlash but if if tennessee is part of a conference that is going to remove itself and absolve itself of the ncaa's structure then what what penalty could the NCAA possibly inflict on them? And look, there, there's also I, it's funny. I had a conversation yesterday with uh, uh, you know I won't divulge sources here, but somebody who is currently involved in the coaching profession in uh, college athletics. Okay, we'll leave it at that. And the the whole thrust of the the point that was made is the NCAA is fine with like wink, wink, nudge, nudge conversations. Like it's, it's all about semantics and the wording that is used when it comes to NIL. And so this notion of enticement, and if you do letter of the law, right, of what the NCAA is, is supposed to be enforcing in terms of fairness across all programs, every program would be in violation, right? Every single program would be in violation of Hey, this is this is how much you're going to make at Penn State, right? At Tennessee. That is illegal to say that. What isn't illegal to say is this is how much a quarterback from Ohio with 3 years of eligibility left could be expected to make as a Penn State quarterback, right? It's ridiculous. It's <laughs> It's the same thing. It's the same. It's like, a new bagel and cream cheese. Which one's a recruiting violation? The cream cheese or the bagel? Like it, it's we're back down to those semantics of. So where's the line? And we have to make the line uh, not arbitrary, but arbitrary. 
but they but but the NCAA has to do that to create some semblance of fairness in terms of the model that they continue desperately to cling to. And the NCAA has not had itself like like the very concept of amateur athletics has not been completely dismissed by uh, the Supreme Court, but NIL was dismissed, yeah. right? Like they laughed it out of court. They said, this idea that you're going to cap what people can make on a, a value that they provide is crazy, right? Like, I mean, what is this? Like the Supreme Court 9-0 doesn't do anything 9-0. That doesn't right. exist, right? right? But on this one, it's 9-0. And there's a reason for that. And it is, this is laughably stupid. This is so dumb what the NCAA has attempted to do. And, and again, I, I throw out at the NCAA, it's the easiest way to talk about it, but people need to understand the NCAA is not anything other than decisions being made by institutions of higher education. That's it. These the power mm -hmm. that the NCAA has. It is a member institution. And so the, the people in charge, Charlie Baker now, uh, those before him, Mark Emmeter, et cetera, are only acting on behalf of the interests of their member institutions. Mm -hmm. So the member institutions for forever have wanted to protect their pie and not give any slices away. Mm -hmm. That's that. Nope. Can't, can't do one. Once you get into the B, 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 B billion. Yeah. When you're talking dollars, it's crazy. Like you can't, yeah. you can't do that. You can't get away with that. And so they're not anymore. The big 10 and the sec realize that the big 10 and the sec are saying, you know what? We have the most valuable product. We have the best relationships with television yep. and have the best product that we can sell to television. Hey, you know what? Uh, rather than having any type of interaction with the NCAA, why don't we explore what the possibilities are yeah. for us? So, TV? Uh, that's, which leads me to the next question. Uh, the PAC 12 is dead. dead power four over what happens to the ACC yeah. and the big 12. I think the interesting, I don't know which one is more interesting to me because you could make a case that a lot of the big 12 schools are the remnants of other conferences that you know the sec was more of a leech than it was a dagger in the heart to the big 12 as where you know the big 10 came in in their leave league of extraordinary pinky promises and just knifed red wedding style the pac 12 but the acc has some very valuable teams some very no, valuable they property don't. they don't no, they don't stop okay all right, so so I guess what happens to those other schools? Has the decision has the wheat been separated from the chaff already? Are these the schools? Are these the conferences that are going to create the level of football that the country cares about? Yeah. Um, or are there more? Is there more movement from an from a uh, conference perspective? Do you think? Yeah. No, there is. There's more movement. Yes. And and look, I, like I'm talking about this very confidently because I feel very confident about it, but I don't yeah. know. Like I'm, oh, not, for I'm, sure. not sitting, I'm not sitting here. I don't want, I don't want to see Nate Bowers reporting that Florida state is leaving the ACC. I can't report that, but yeah, yeah that's exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> Florida mm -hmm. state Clemson probably will leave the ACC, uh, right? Does a team like Virginia tech get a look at a bigger conference? The, the, the dynamic that I think is fascinating is okay. 
yeah, there's a lot of powerhouse programs and viable teams that want to compete for national championships that want to be in this, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever this is, they want to be in it, in the SEC, in the Big Ten. There are also those that do not, right? There are those that aren't viable. They're, mm -hmm. they're not going that direction, right? Vanderbilt. What is Vanderbilt? Duke. Duke. Uh that, oh, that when when we when when there was Northwestern, some, right? Oh, whoa! Well, interesting. Um. So so what what happens to them, right? What I, like we've only we've only been looking at for quite a while now. Expansion. It's all. It's every everything has been about expansion. Yep. A contraction has not been part of that conversation, but at some point it will be. Right. Mm -hmm. If you're if you're the Big Ten in the SEC and you're saying to yourself, hey, how do we create the most advantageous situation to create compelling matchups game in, game out, an yeah. NFL light style product that has yep. built in affinity from fans? How do we do that? Well, you're probably going to shed Rutgers. <laughs> so now it's a, so. OK, let's also have the conversation about the NFL. And that model, because as you mentioned, expansion, getting more TV markets, getting more local markets has been a part of this conversation. Are we saying now these are going to be national TV deals like the NFL that then are shared as opposed to we want to gobble up as many TV networks as possible to get the Big Ten network on as many places? And just forget that we're focusing on the fact that we're on uh, Fox, CBS, Etc. And yep. making it milking as much of those national deals as possible to create a national product of names you recognize, whether you're in Seattle or Spokane or Tampa Bay, where you were just hanging out. Yes. Okay. Yes. That, I mean, I, uh, to me, that's that is clearly the next step is if if you and look, you already saw you already saw the uh, right. The top 100 airings of like live television in the mm -hmm. United States. Right. I, I don't know if you saw that graphic. It was probably a month or two ago. Uh, yeah. It comes uh, out every year. Uh, the NFL, football. The N <laughs> yeah. The NFL, the NFL had like 96 out of a hundred college yep. football might've had two. And I think the Oscars and the Grammys were the other two, mm -hmm. right? Like that. So it is, it is this hoarding. Of, well, there's a reason for that. <laughs> it's because those things are on everywhere nationally mm -hmm. right like there's no place that you can't see it nationally it's on broadcast television yep. uh espn the national telecast does college football have that same grip no it definitely doesn't don't like yeah. let's not confuse it's more like two. baseball it's more regional the success of college football the rise of tv is tied to region you know, there's there's no doubt about the fact that you want to see and this is part of the this is part of the I think the negotiation of the next chapter is how do you take that passion for uh, Penn State Pitt, Penn State, West Virginia, that you developed into Penn State, Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, and then expand from, OK, here are these regional rivalries now to you're playing Washington, USC and Oregon. How do you how do you continue to proliferate this to other parts like, you know, uh, down south to get people interested in watching uh, a game the same way that they would a Sunday night football game between the Packers and the Chiefs? Penn State Auburn had excellent, excellent television numbers, mm -hmm. right? Uh, 
if you could take and and like I get it, I understand how different this sounds and how how radically uh, how radical the movement is from what college football has always been to what it possibly could become. Mm-hmm. But if you can if you can in we, last year, our entire conversation was that Penn State had a two game season, Ohio State and Michigan. Yep. Imagine Penn State. Imagine Michigan. Imagine Ohio State having an actual twelve game season. Yeah. Imagine, imagine them play. I mean, and and you, where if you already, lose one or two games, it doesn't matter because you can still get into the tournament. You're, you're already, but you're already seeing in Penn State's schedule next year: Washington, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. UCLA. Right? Or is UCLA on the schedule next year? Yeah, uh, you Southern Cal. Right? You you have these programs being added to the schedule that make it more appealing already. That's a big part of why you're seeing the television contract that you already see for the big 10. Now, all you got to do, all you got to do is figure out how do you get rid of Penn state, Maryland? How do you get rid of Penn state, right? Bowling green and, and swap out those games for Penn state, Auburn, Penn mm-hmm. State, Ole Miss, Penn State, Texas, Penn State, whatever. And it's not like I'm speaking about this from a Penn State centric perspective, but it's for all of these big time programs. Yeah, it, I just it, I, I cannot emphasize it enough. Like the paradigm is changing mm-hmm. dramatically. It's it, this isn't this isn't the Gonna baby need a preseason that soon. I mean, in that mold, you'd then need a preseason where maybe that's where you play Maryland. I don't know. I, I don't know. That's going to be an interesting way because I don't think you can go into a The NFL does have a preseason. You can't go in cold. I know that training camp is a part of this, and uh, now we're getting really into the nuts and bolts. Uh, JC Corrigan asked this, and we do have to move on. We're, we're steamrolling towards another hour-long show, Nate. No, I don't want to. Go. Yeah. Um, JC Corrigan asked this question. Do you see any rela- relegation opportunities with the Big Ten and the SEC, Indiana, Vanderbilt, or if you finish at the bottom, you're replaced by somebody you know from another school? Um, do, you, do you see that? I, I have a hard time because all of this is tied to TV deals and expectations of being on, on you know certain products being delivered. Is that a possibility of the future where there is some sort of meritocracy to this? Uh, sure, maybe. Uh, look, I, there is there is another component of this that I want to bring up that I don't. It is not my world, okay. But private equity is going to be involved in this, okay. The stuff that we were talking about that was being talked about last August with Florida State, and right that was that was kind of on the fringe, the periphery of that yeah. conversation with Florida State and leaving the SEC or excuse me, the ACC. Uh, private, but like I, I mean, I'm. Sure, I'm happy to uh, to report, and I know that I, I believe Thamel has already reported. Like private equity is definitely involved in this, and the thing that private equity does is it infuses money yep. uh, to fix broken things, right? Mm-hmm. That like, and now sometimes they make it worse, mm-hmm. no doubt about that. Sometimes they make it better, uh, and they want their cut of it. But I, I think very strongly that if private equity gets involved, uh it does a couple of things. One, it helps resolve title nine in terms of the relationship between the institution, right? These public institutions. Yes. And, uh, title nine. Uh, however, it also carries with it sway, right? So sway for private equity sway for television. We already know about television sway, but yeah. it, it is, <laughs> this is, this is the break. This Not is, donors uh, that are, um, you know, in, in, 
induced into donating because of fandom, love, and loyalty. This is the cold, hard results business on that side of private. It, it is. It is. Return. It is. Hey, college football is not. It is a product with limitless potential that anyone can see, right? There are very few people who look at college football in any light, right? Whether they, Mm -hmm. regardless of the side that you're coming from, there are very few people looking at college football right now saying, oh man, what a great product. Like what a, what a fantastically well thought out (laughs) way to run a, what is effectively and has been for years at effectively a professional sport. What a great way to run it. Let's, let's have, let's have four. You know what? Skip the wild card round. Skip the divisional round. Let's go straight to the championship round yes. of the playoff. That's a great idea. Oh, how about before that? Let's go straight to the Super Bowl. How yeah. are you going to pick it? We're going to have a bunch of numbers that we throw into a computer. Yeah. Oh, and and how was that replaced? By putting Condoleezza Rice in a room <laughs> and saying, let's have her help decide who the national champion should be. It's crazy. Like it's yeah. it's, it's been crazy. Uh, and now there are potential movements being made to, to help fix it. This, this conversation was long overdue. So there's more to talk about. There's, there's a billion different things that have to be sorted out in this conversation to get football to where you're talking about billions, buddy. billions, right. Uh, but we do need to get to uh, some of the other things, especially uh, the stuff that we promised we were going to talk about, including the defensive end position. You wrote about this yeah. yesterday. You talked about, um, you know, kind of setting the table for the defensive end position in the spring. I think we had a conversation about Deny Dennis Sutton a couple weeks ago, but this is about, uh, I like the conversation I want to have. First off, go read his article. The conversation I want to have is what happens next to him um, and what is what is the depth of the position look like? So I guess looking at it from the way you did, how did you see the defensive end position in this winter preview of the spring? Yeah, I think they have, I think they have some, obvious options right there there are three that come to mind right so deny is obviously the guy right this is his show at defensive end uh next year then you've got amin vanover who has a ton of experience and uh, aside from uh you know he had an injury this year that kept him out a couple of games he had a suspension at the beginning of the year that kept him out a couple of games uh but is is good (laughs) <laughs> yes. he's, he's, a, he's a pretty good player that yes I, I don't know that that's always been what the perception of him has been but mm-hmm. it is it is now it, right he's a guy who can impact the game at defensive end yep. Zariah Fisher has had a roller coaster of a career <laughs> at Penn State yeah. it, right has had some some injuries that he's had to deal with uh was able to come back and again is a guy who had some buzz last preseason and contributed uh, in his own way, right? He was part of that rotation at defensive end. Uh, and then you have a guy in uh, Jameel Lyons who we'll see, right? Yeah. He is, uh, showed, had some flashes early in the season, was a guy that they, I think for more obvious reasons than people were willing to acknowledge, Penn State tried to hold on to that redshirt for him, but it became yeah. untenable once Chop yeah. and Amin got hurt. Uh, right. So, so it's just yeah. setting expectations accordingly, right? Here's a guy who is a, a, a rising sophomore ended up playing in uh, seven games, maybe. Uh, yeah. He, he had surprisingly more snaps, I think, than Tony Rojas. I was doing this 
uh, breakdown a couple weeks ago. Let me go look that up again. But yeah, it, despite having only one snap in a game, you know, he came in for one snap on defense in a game, which was, I think, part of the whole like, all right, well, we're going to have to burn his red shirt now anyway. Um, yeah, he, he played more than I think it seemed like. Yeah. So play, played more than it seemed like. <clears throat> set a foundation for himself and importantly wh- whether people like it or not sometimes teammates give more buzz and credit than is due but yeah he's got buzz he's got buzz yeah. you got you got a bunch of teammates talking about this guy as having this natural talent that you can't teach and that offering him a window right to to really compete this offseason and, and make a play for serious playing time this year yeah uh just clean up a couple things 95 snaps this season i was thinking of zion tracy who played more than tony rojas so uh jameel Lyons did not play more than tony rojas but he did have 95 snaps on the season in eight games including the bowl game so uh and you were pretty damn to- close on that one and tony was what in the hundreds 120 i want to say okay. uh yeah. 122 uh and then Tracy was in the 150s. I'm pulling it up right now just so I can. Uh, nobody cares about the specific numbers except for us. 122. I was right about uh, Rojas and then Zion Tracy, 148. But like Amin Vanover played, as you mentioned, a, a suspension and an injury. He played 145 snaps last year. So Lions wasn't very far behind him in terms of plays that he made. At times he was on the field. Yeah. Different different situations but i have up here for people that are listening to the podcast on screen i have the penn state defensive roster as it sits right now and the interesting thing is a couple things um you've mentioned the four guys that we're talking about here the primary players uh that we know about the interesting thing is going to be mason robinson joseph McCoy, smith vilbert where some of these other players that we didn't see last season do any of them have an opportunity to crack this lineup? Because it does seem pretty clear and defined the four guys that are going to be in the rotation. Yeah, there's there are two there are two extraordinarily interesting conversations to have. Uh, one of which is the most extraordinarily fun and interesting is Abdul Carter, right? Yes. And we've we've already seen this, right? Uh, that was probably where Micah Parsons was heading for the COVID season, that was yeah. probably going to be part of the, the right. And we get, we get so fixated on pigeonholing guys into, okay, well, is he going to become a defensive end? I, I don't think so for Abdul Carter, but could that become part of his repertoire? Yeah, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that could definitely be part of how they use him depending on what Tom Allen wants to do. And the other one that is, Less interesting, but interesting nonetheless, is Smith Vilbert coming off of uh, an injury that kept him out for the season. But I, yep. I think that there's a little bit of buzz for him that that he can come back and be an older guy. I, I just can't. I sound broken recordy, but the older guys tend to have success. They're motivated, right? It's a, kind of a last chance for him. Yep. Uh, in the right conditions, that body type, right? Give him those years and, and maybe the uh, Oasis, the Mirage, I, I think of that Outback Bowl where he racked up a bunch of sacks, but yeah. was, didn't really have the, the that great of a game, right? This like mind-blowing so, game. Yeah, one he of them was he, a contributor. 
He was the closest guy to KJ Jefferson when he stepped out of bounds, so you get a sack for that. Was he in pursuit? Did he, you know, I, that's that's where you get into some of those, yeah, well, maybe. Uh, Lambda says this, and I think this is an important thing to talk about, and this is, I want to transition just briefly into kind of my view of the situation. Vanover always seems to make plays whenever he was in the game. Per capita, he is the most disruptive defensive end over the last, I want to say, five seasons. I, more than Chop Robinson. When he's on the field, he makes plays, both in the run game and the pass game. His pressure percentages, and I know that some people, you know, it, don't go on the internet and don't get in between Browns fans and, and um, Steelers fans about Miles Garrett and TJ Watt when it comes to pressure rate. But this is something that I think is important. Win percentage and how often you get pressure on a play Vanover is in the is near those guys in terms of per percentages of pressure, 23%, where the best pass rushers in the NFL are getting it at 25, 26% of the time. Maybe a little, you know, in that ballpark. But we have a very small sample size. Yep. He does not, he has not played a lot of football. So when you increase the volume, does that continue or is he feasting off of the attention paid to other players? I think there's a little bit of both. Um, I'm not saying he's going to be a superstar, but when we talk about you know the depth chart next year and who's going to be listed as the starter, opposite of Deny Dennis Sutton, he has proven in small sample sizes he gives you the most pass rush of any of these guys. So I guess that's my opening salvo for the competition for this spring. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think you, you've got a bunch of uh, avenues. Like, I could see multiple guys becoming impactful there, and you just have to sort it out. You just have to see what the best combinations together, who plays well together. Yeah. Uh, right? You and I had this conversation yesterday. Does body type and style of play come into the equation, or right. do you just try to put the two best on the field at the same time. Right. right. I, 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 I don't know. I mean, that's, that's, I think things that, um, you know, they're going to have to figure out this spring. Um, but certainly yeah. it's not, it's not for a lack of players though. I don't think it's not for a lack of bodies. I mean, they have guys yeah. there who have potential. It's just a matter of sorting it out and figuring out who, who the guys are that can help you the most there. Uh, for the eagle-eyed viewers, when we had the the roster up there on on the screen, Jalen Harvey, six two two fifty, is listed as a defensive lineman. But I just want to point out, um, all of the players that are freshmen don't have a specific position. So Antoine Belgrave Shorter is a DB. He's not a corner. He's not a safety. He's a DB. So that I think is uh, just in case anyone saw that, I wanted to point that out. The last thing, and you you talk about this, and we had this conversation, is. Abdul Carter closer to Zariah Fisher on the depth chart in terms of placing those guys together at a position and Amin Vanover and Denied and a Sutton in this new defense. I think that's something that's going to be interesting and that we'll have to figure out um, when we see more of this team in the spring. There's a lot of stuff that we can speculate about, but we really won't know the hard answers until we see what Tom Allen's defense is and what he wants to be. Yep. Let's get to the mailbag.
Our Texas high school, high school football correspondent, Ryan Sheard, is in the chat. He says, it's been a long time since I got to join the live show. How's everybody doing? We are great. Super happy to have you here. If you've got a question, you want to have uh, your opinion heard in the chat, what we're talking about, drop it in the live comments here if you're watching live. Um, and if you're listening on replay, you can always drop those uh, thoughts and comments on the video as well. Uh, and we can talk about that in the in the comments. But let's get to the Blue White Illustrated message board comments. If you want to subscribe again, another great reason to subscribe. You get access to the mailbag thread where we take the majority of our comments because I don't want to be out here without a net. I trust you guys. I love you guys. But I want to have some questions in the bag. Literally. Losi's mustache says that uh, saw JT2 Lamoliao has an Ohio at Ohio State got an NIL deal with head and shoulders is Happy Valley United anywhere close to that level with national uh, deals with national brands. Fitz, uh, Nate, Jesus, sorry. Uh, you're good. <laughs> Total you're good. breakdown. Ah! Um, I would imagine that that deal was not facilitated by Ohio State's collective. That's not really the point of of the collectives, um, right? So, so I mean, Singleton has Gatorade. Singleton has Dunkin' Donuts, um, right? Uh, Aller has Kellogg's. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I do think that there are some significant NIL deals that Penn State has, um, but you don't, that's not, that's not really how it works. At least my understanding uh, is that's not how it works. Gotcha. For, for the, right? The, I mean, the point of the collective is, genuinely to be a collective right uh it is to pull together as much money from as many different places as you possibly can mm -hmm. uh, if you're a business and of that side right like it's almost like there's two different things happening right so can One, i can i yeah, Can I uh, kind of give a, an anecdote I found recently? I was listening to the uh, PFF NFL podcast. They had Jim Nagy of the Senior Bowl on. He talked about building the roster and trying to figure out who they wanted to invite with all of these problems of who's staying, who's going, COVID years, et cetera. And he said, it's much easier now because these guys all have NIL agents. So yeah. you've got JT Tulamolia, who's got a personal agent, and that's maybe where that contact comes in versus, hey, um, Nick from Minnesota, do you want to donate $10 a month to uh, the Gopher Fund so we can dig a hole and put a lot of money in it and other Gopher puns? Yeah. Is that, uh, is that a fair way to, uh, to describe that? 100%. Okay. Is, is the guys that have real representation, got like agents that are part of agencies that have actual contacts in the business world and can facilitate those types of deals that's how those are made um it's not it's not through the collective the collective is hey here are businesses individuals etc and some of them deep pocketed yeah. but here are the people that want to support penn state football that want to support whatever program it is and are contributing money to go into this fund uh that can then be again against NCAA rules, but <laughs> is happening everywhere, yeah. can then be decided, right, how you want to distribute it internally, right? right. You're, you're not supposed to, but yeah, that's what's happening is you say, hey, we want to make sure that this amount is dedicated or allocated to this player or this group of players, what have you. Yeah, so, very quickly, uh, there's something you wrote about, and I, I think that it ties into this conversation. There's a 
uh, there's a name, image, and likeness golf tournament coming up yeah. for Happy Valley United, and James Franklin is part of it. Like, yes, how, how I guess <laughs> I don't want to get into the how does that work, but that's an area where Happy Valley United is raising funds and how they're raising funds uh, in, that, in this situation. They did the same thing last summer. The 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 thing in Avalon where right, it's just it's yeah. just your your presence, right? You you're a, a celebrity guest, what what have you. And there's going to be other uh, former lettermen from Penn State at this thing at the, at the golf tournament. Uh, there will be um, uh, current assistant coaches at this golf tournament. So um, yeah, it's it's look, it, this is classic fundraising. This is how you do it, and they're they're probably going to be. Uh, expensive tickets, expensive uh, foursomes to to have in this golf tournament, and then there's going to be reception afterwards, and we'll see what they do. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, you know how it's received. I mean, certainly it seems like uh, based on the story I wrote and some of the reception that it got, that there's a lot of enthusiasm and excitement for it. So this is kind of a way where you you work the fan engagement side of things. It's it's hard to say. It's hard to say support this as a subscription right a net mm-hmm. subscription that you forget about you give us 25 bucks a month and you forget about it you get a hoodie in the mail and right and and like that's fine and there's lots of fundraising that works that way pbs etc right however this is the type of thing where you can truly drive fan engagement and say okay mm-hmm. your favorite people the people that you are big fans of are going to be at the Penn state players, current players are going to be at this thing. Here's a chance to, to hobnob and to play some golf and get a great value out of it. And uh, in the process, donate to uh, the program that you support. There's nothing I love more than a Nate Bauer. However, cause I feel like mm. on the, we're just turning the page and bam, you're going to get something good on the other side. Master Joker says, if the staff were to strike out with Zollers in Washington, this is a recruiting question from Master Joker about Matt Zollers, Malik Washington, Penn State's quarterback targets in 2025. Do you think they'll still push for another QB or would they be comfortable with just taking Beckham Kritza, who is already committed to the program? Uh, Fitz is not here, but I want to take a stab at this question because I think it's kind of related to Ethan Grunkmeyer last year where they had a strong relationship with Ethan Grunkmeyer. They were still scouting a bunch of other quarterbacks. Maybe they would have taken another guy, but the way Grunkmeyer developed, it was like, nah, we don't really need to. We really like what we have here. At least that's how I read the situation, and I imagine that is a part of the conversation here. Get two quarterbacks. Get Mad Zollers, Beckham Kritza, get uh, Malik Washington and Beckham Kritza, whatever that combination is, but if you can't get one of those guys and Beckham Kritza develops and you see on film tangible reasons you think he's uh, the guy or a somebody you can put in the position and category of he's going to be or we think he can very likely be the guy, then I don't think you need to. But it all depends on Beckham Kritz's development and all the things that you say factor in there. How'd that sound, Nate? Did I do a good job? Sure. Yeah, I loved it. <laughs> all right. Uh, Poncho 570 asks, are the corner positions going to be the best slash fun, uh, most fun to cover battles this spring? And who is the player you're most looking forward to seeing what he can do? Nate, um, I guess what piques your interest? Do you think the cornerback position, having two of them open, presumably, is is interesting? And, and who are the guys that you're curious about this spring? Yeah, I don't think that cam miller's 
uh, like there was a lot of overreaction I felt in the moment of the Peach Bowl that mm-hmm. I think will be undone by the time that the season starts. So I, like I think Cam Miller is pretty good and I think he will be good um, this season. So that that's interesting. And then obviously Harris, I, I think, is, um, you know, the the infusion of talent in the transfer portal always makes things interesting. Yep. And. Right. The amount of conversation truly that Trey Potts got last year. Yep. When you knew that he wasn't going to make a dent in Singleton or at right. Like, yeah. So if, so if that was the case for a running back, that was at best third team. What, what does that mean for the conversation at cornerback? I I, I think it's going to be, yeah, there's going to be a lot of, of intrigue over what those guys can do. Uh, rapid fire here. Yes or no. Quentin Martin, part of the running back rotation, or is he closer to that conversation about Trey Potts where he's a running back three? Uh, because there is, there's a, I feel there's an unhealthy bubbling of idea that he is going to be heavily involved. And for a freshman, even getting her here early, even being like, those guys are so much farther ahead of him, the top two, like in terms of their physical, mental, emotional development. So like, yes or no, I've already ruined it by going on too long with the question. Yes or no. Yeah, no, <laughs> no. And, and that's fine. Like give these guys the opportunity, right? Give, 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 give players that are young like that, the opportunity to develop and to, to have their natural progression. But at the same time, don't I mean it's it's almost the Prabula conversation from this past year. Right. There are nice things that he does. There are ways that they he does enough to want to involve him in some capacity, but it yeah. doesn't change the fact that especially now with fewer snaps per game, right? You're in the 70s for snaps per game now. Like there's only there's only one ball. Like it, yeah, it's just kind of the reality of college football. Yeah, I think uh, it, it's important to get the top two guys the ball and have them be satisfied then try to work in a third guy uh i guess the offensive line i think is interesting and i i want to just button up poncho's question here um right tackle i'm super interested to see anthony donko get more i don't want a red herring right i don't want there to be something from the peach bowl where we saw a guy that was ready to step in and be the starter and is way ahead of schedule and then oh look at that nope we didn't see him enough situations against good pass rushers and suddenly you got a problem at right tackle. And then, of course, as you mentioned, transfers Nolan Rucci. So I guess I'm looking at the right tackle position, too. I mean, Donka uh, was Donka was buzzing last spring. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not out of nowhere. Like, it's... Yeah. No, 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 no. But playing right tackle was. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, no, be, sure. being, being the left guard every time we see him, and suddenly he's the right tackle the next time we see him. That sure. was, you know, the the um, raising the stakes here uh, is what I'm interested in and in seeing, like, what's what's real and what's not real. This is from We Are 8286. He says, How do you feel about the guard pulling and getting to the second level with Andy Coltonicki's new offense at Penn State? Seems like that's an important part of the offense, getting guys out into space. Nate, it was in 2022. I guess this is the part when I'm looking at Andy Coltonicki's offense and I'm seeing the differences in the, in the two and some of the creativity of formation and stuff like that. But when you boil it down, and even he said it, talking about, and I, I had a film room up of Andy Kolonicki's offense from yesterday. A lot of this is the same, Nate. A lot of these pass concepts are the same. A lot of these run concepts are the same. 
It's just Penn State got into a weird position where it felt like as the season went on, schematically, they backed themselves farther and farther into a corner where it's like, we're running inside zone and outside zone. And we'll throw in a couple counters here or there. But in 2022, like they had a diverse run scheme where they could run a bunch of different things and guards pulling was a big part of it. So yes, to, to answer that question, yes, I think so. But also it should have been like that shouldn't like something happened to take that out of the offense in 23. How do you, I get to, to that part, not to ask no. you about scheme, but just like no. the idea of a, a new offense and trying to place all these things about how they can get better um outside of the players playing right yeah two two things uh i think that uh, i again and i I brought this up a few weeks ago franklin's comment about not being as far away as it might seem Mm -hmm. i I thought is relevant i i I fully expect to see carryover they're not going to reinvent the wheel here with players that have been in the system and understand certain concepts They're, they're like this is what they've recruited for It's the same conversation as Tom Allen and Hey, how much is Tom Allen going to change what Penn state does defensively? Well, you're not going to, unless there is a massive problem and Penn state's offense at times was a massive offense this past season, but realistically the, the most massivest of the problems were against Ohio state and Michigan. That's the bottom line is so, so there's that element. And then the, the second element of calling the game, in those games and being effective at it, the art, not science part of it, of being yeah. an artist and, and having the right vibe and the right feel and making the right calls at the right time. I mean, if, if, if the concept of, Hey, there are five plays that determine the outcome of a game like that is true, then you saw that, right? You saw those plays miss for Penn state more often than not in those games, in those environments over the last three years that they got tired of. And when I say they, I mean James Franklin. Yeah. the About 10 minutes left in the show. So if you got a question, uh, this is your last shot to throw it in here in the chat. We got a couple more we got to get to here from the message board. Which upperclassmen are in the most danger of losing a starting position due to an underclassman or transfer? This is from Valhalla Valley. Nate, do you have a thought on uh, areas where Penn State has brought in competition to improve uh, certain positions? No, I don't, I don't think so. Um, right. Defensive tackle is buttoned up defensive yep. end. We know what you're dealing with there. Linebacker, there hasn't really been any changes, um, you know, corner, but corners, younger guys anyway. Yep. Uh, um, safety. No offensive line. I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, you tell, I, I'm not really sure. I, I guess, it would be helpful to know what he's getting at. Like, is there, is there something that stands out in his mind to suggest that? But I don't, I don't necessarily see that. Yeah, I don't, I don't either. I mean, you always go back to receiver. Are there, you mm-hmm. know, is there somebody on the roster this spring that could challenge Trey Wallace? Like, I don't think that, I don't think his position, as much as he has been the guy they point to as he's been consistent, it's not like he's been. Uh, exponentially productive. Um, so if there was a guy who came and challenged him and was as consistent and played with that level of consistency, consistency that he does and has a similar level of talent, you could have, you know, where we might feel that's locked down to where that might be a timeshare or somebody might eat into those reps. 
but yeah, Not I, hurt. I agree with you. I don't I don't see a ton of opportunity there from upperclassmen losing a starting job. I mean, I think I think the, the the vibe would be Keaton Ellis, right? Like Keaton Ellis yes. lost snaps between two years ago and this past year. Um, you know, Trey was hurt all year, so I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't nothing stands out to me, right? Uh, Tyler Warren's not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah, you'd have Drew to go Aller, down to, right? uh, yeah, I, I guess there's another one. Khalil Dinkins and Andrew Rappelier is going to be a battle. You know, Andrew Rappelier, sure. presumably from what we saw last year, already leapfrogged some guys on the depth chart. So it's very minimal, I think. And that's the, that would be the vibe of the question we just got. It's like, yeah, we had to rack our brains for a couple. Doug21988. Says, do you see for foresee the coaching staff doing anything different in terms of offseason preparation or overall focus uh, in order to hopefully change the outcome in big games? Might be the same as the past, but I seem to notice a different theme here at the end of the video. James Franklin talks about being player led. This is something I imagine Penn State put out on social media yesterday. Uh, the yep. team players need to hold each other accountable. Now, that's not necessarily something new, but is it a new focus that he's saying it out loud more? I think uh, so, Doug, I, I had the same impression uh, in terms of my read of that comment. It's inclusion in the video in the first place. I, look, I think that there is a. A. And it always it's not always, but it happens a lot, right, is what is said and what it means for its inverse. So mm -hmm. if this year's team has to be player led, what does that mean about last year's team? What does that right. mean about the leadership? What does that mean about all of those intangibles? Uh, and and I hate it because it's just it's one of those things that we can't ever truly get into, right? Because yep. there's there's disagreement within the program. There's disagreement within the locker room over whether or not leadership is strong. So I, I do think that the vibe of James Franklin's conversation last year, last spring, last February about hey, you lose these larger than life presences in the locker room and Sean Clifford and PJ Mustafer from that 2022 team. And you have to turn it into a leadership kind of by committee, right. Yeah. With a, with a bunch of players chiming in. I, I think that the onus and what James Franklin is doing in that comment is saying, Hey, the bottom line, it, you can't like, we can't hype you up. We can't get you where you want to go. Without yeah. you guys being a huge part of this process, without you guys holding each other accountable, without you guys driving and propelling yourselves forward as a team and as a culture. I think he knows that. I think that's been a major ingredient to the success that all teams have, right? It's right. different when it's your peers egging you on. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree. I think that the, the, who are some of the guys that you think need to take, we do this all the time. Somebody's going to ask James Franklin this question, but just to kind of start the conversation. Yeah. Uh, Deny Dennis Sutton is a guy that I think was not a leader last year in terms of um, public perception. Maybe he was internally, but he's now got to be a face of the defense this year. He's got to step into that role. And even if he's not a star in terms of production, he's got to be a leader on the defense. Is there somebody that you would put up there as a, a younger, maybe an ascending player that needs to take that uh, player-led ownership that James Franklin's talking about? True. It's true. There you go. That's right. And and I don't want to like I feel bad because I don't want to put pressure on the kid 
uh, right beyond what is already on him. But that's like that's it. Just it helps teams. It, mm-hmm. it I mean, you see the 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 number of examples of this are plentiful. It helps your team when you have the best leadership on the team at that position. Yep. And sometimes you can't expect that. It's not possible out of uh, a true freshman or a sophomore. They, they, they're they not in that frame of mind to be able to provide that to the rest of the team. But Drew Aller works extremely hard. We all know this. This yep. is, this is everybody talks about it. His film study, his dedication to the game, all of that stuff from Clifford rubbed off on him. He is, he is into it. He lives it. Mm-hmm. That is exceptionally strong as a starting point yep. to, to grow from. However, the thing that he can get better at, and I think he knows this, and I think the team knows this and the program knows this is his vocal leadership, his ability to, to actually, to be more of an enforcer, to be larger than life, to, to yeah. bring that presence to the team and to the program. And uh, it's going to be interesting. He, he talked about it after the, after the peach bowl, he talked about, yeah. Hey, I need to, I need to use my voice uh, as a liaison f- from the coaching staff to be able yeah. to deliver the message from the coaching staff to the rest of the players. Uh, but then also just like for himself right? yeah. <laughs> to, to be able to drive the program forward. Can, I, I watched that video and I just thank you for getting that because that was yeah. incredibly insightful. So a couple of things and we've seen Drew Aller emotional after games and what he always brought up routinely was, uh, you know, the sense of either he feels like he let his teammates down or he feels this burden of responsibility because of these upperclassmen who don't have another shot to play college football and wants to send them out with a win, you know, kind of that sentiment at the end of the season in that that Peach Bowl. And you could at times see that weight on his shoulders in the game. Yeah, yeah. he and this is, you know, my armchair psychologist, which I, I'm not trying to put it, but like, a certain point has to be for him, right? I want to correct. I got to be, I want to be the guy and this is for me. And that is a different motivation that I think is maybe not a burden, but a, an uplifting thing. And I think that's an interesting shift of somebody who might be from a younger player to a more mature player and, and athletic hubris, baby, just let it rip. The, the clock, the clock runs out quickly on college football careers. And yeah. so your perception as a 19 year old sophomore where you've got this big career in front of you and it feels like that. And it is that mm-hmm. within the span of three months becomes, Oh, you have <laughs> yeah. 12 games left. You have 24, whatever it is, but you're past the halfway point after yep. those three months. And that's that's the case now is he's he's at that half that half mark, even if he stays for two, two more years. Uh, it, it is now less about doing it. Just nailed it. It's not about doing it for other people. It, it is and not about letting other people down. It is. How are you going to maximize your career? Uh, and and importantly, he can't do it by himself. He needs those yes. other guys to be with him and to help him out. Um, right. And, and just everybody lift each other. Yeah, and it's important that these are not bad motivations. 
Drew is fundamentally seems like a great dude and somebody yeah. you would want to 100%. be your quarterback. It just it's it's the perception of these things. We're going into overtime for one more question. I want to get to this because I find this interesting and also because Townsend Knit uh, has great contributions over at bluewhiteillustrated.com. He says the fundamental premise of Tom Allen's defense in his own words is keeping it simple, changing windows, changing windows on the backside of the defense. While there may be some similarity to Manny Diaz's defense, it does not seem like Tom Allen has the commitment to have it creation that Manny did. Would you agree with this? And is this a good thing given Penn State's personnel in 2024? This, Nate, the reason I wanted to include this is I want to have a conversation about this. I know this is kind of more in my wheelhouse than yours, but I think this is the this is the expectation setter for for Tom Allen and what he does. And there is this, it feels like hesitance to leave what Manny Diaz did last year and fully embrace what Tom Allen wants to do from Penn State fans. And I think Townsend nailed it here in terms of the the differences and the expectation to create something different on defense from Tom Allen. So I just wanted to have this conversation. I, I think that there's a lot of um, good and bad I think the havoc creation is a great place to start. You're not going to see the same stuff up front. Um, do you think that? Yeah, I, 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 how, how do Let you view this? Question. How do you view this? I don't want to ask you questions. Like, I do this all the time where I'm like, I'm thinking about the X's and O's. What do you think about this? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's mostly true. I mean, I, I think that certainly depending on the talent that, I, like, I can't see a departure from end being important right i mean those guys still do what they do and they're going to want to have that pressure on the quarterback but sure yeah that there's many ways to skin a cat Uh, i mean i do think that they're gonna they're gonna be important again and this is this is me based on my understanding of james franklin through the years he wanted to brought tom allen in if he didn't think that turnover creation was something that could be a big yeah. part of what he does, yes. right? It, how, like how you get to the end point is less important than getting to the end point. As long as you get right. to the end point of the things that James Franklin thinks are important and integral to winning defensive football, uh, which is field position, certainly uh, turnover creation and splash plays. So yeah. sacks strip, right? What, what have you, uh, as long as you can get to those three things, I, I don't know that it necessarily has to be the exact same way. Uh, you just, you just need to get there. Yeah. So, so Manny Diaz kind of laid it out before the season. I think he was talking to Adam Brenneman. It was very, very clear. Everything made sense when you thought about it from his perspective here, where he said, statistically, the place that interceptions happen the most is on third and long when you can create pressure and it's obvious where the ball has to go. So everything you saw on first and second down was to create third and longs. It was yep. to get to that point. Yep. And Tom Allen's defense, I think, takes this uh, a secondary approach of let's get an interception on first down. If we can do it, you know, let's get an interception on second down. Let's not wait until third down. Let's do things schematically that create confusion and uh, uncertainty in a quarterback and so there will be more brent pry up front 
I would say, is how I would describe it. More traditional, four down, stop the run through these ways of attacking an offensive line and a running game. But the point is the same. Get the football from the other team. And in years where they have elite pass rushers, it'll result in sacks. But, you know, the goal here, I think, is zone generation of interceptions. And that would be, I think, if you're a Penn State fan, that's your hope is that the safeties and corners turn into superstars where maybe last year you had a Deesa Isaac and Chop Robinson and Abdul Carter being a part of that conversation uh, where it started and ended a lot of times up front. Love Eight. it. Any last yeah. thoughts? There was a basketball question way oh. earlier. Uh, and I, I don't, I think it was what the line is going to be for Iowa. And I don't know. So, oh, okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> I misread that. I thought that was a wrestling question. We do too many shows now. I thought that was somebody joking that wanted to ask you about wrestling. So I just saw Iowa and moved on. No, um, sir. There's so many things going on. And that's why we got to get going because we got so many things to do today. Uh, we'll have Kale Sanderson wrestling show coming up on Friday. Oh, I think we're going to have a hoop show coming up this week as well. And of course, yep. we'll have a recruiting show on Thursday and we'll have our KSN show tomorrow. A lot of great stuff coming up on the Blue White Illustrated YouTube channel and at BlueWhiteIllustrated.com. I'm Thomas Frankar. He's Nate Bauer. Superstar extraordinaire of Blue White Illustrated. We will be back with more later. Talk to you then.